With that, we're going to start our new series. Uh, just before we do, um, you'll still see, hopefully, encounter cards right in front of you. You still can go on the website. We don't want to lose that uh, searching and paying attention to encounters with Christ. So continue to pay attention to what Christ is doing in your life and write them down and share them. Uh, we won't share an encounter this morning, uh, but my hope is that we will continue to do so once or twice a month, and uh, it's great to hear a testimony. I know I've been blessed by it, so hopefully you have too. So make sure you're paying attention for it, and um, I think hopefully, Lord willing, this next series will help promote that even further. So with that, if you are able to stand for the reading of God's Word, turn to Psalm 23, and we are going to read all six verses, and uh, it's a wonderful psalm. Psalm 23, and, and uh, this Sunday I'm going to read from the NLT, and we'll read different um, translations as we go through this. But Psalm 23, starting at verse 1, it reads, The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me besides peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this new year. Thank you for last year. Thank you for the way that you bless us. We're excited for what you have in store, not just in this service and not in this day, but this year and the years to come to call us home or come and get us. And we're just thankful, Lord. And Lord, um, uh, the new year brings about different emotions, different excitements, and sadness, and happiness, and we just uh, recognize and know that you're a big God and can handle that. Will you help us come to you and not run from you, Lord? And Lord, will you prepare our hearts by your spirit to receive your word? We thank you for your word. It's, it is precious to us because you're precious, and it is you. So Lord, uh, again, prepare our hearts. Whatever you want me to say, say whatever you don't. I don't. We thank you. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So as we were closing out the encounter series uh, several weeks ago, uh, six weeks ago or so, I was considering a new series and I was hoping to do something that would lend itself well to this, the past series, the encounters with Jesus and help uh, take our focus into the new year on our relationship with Christ and to one another. So that was the hope. That's what I had been praying for. And a few months prior to that, I was given a book that uh, may be familiar to you called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23 by W. Philip Keller. It's a wonderful book. And uh, he's, he's a son of a missionary family in Kenya, eventually moved to British Columbia uh, in Canada and had sheep. And so it's his perspective of Psalm 23, and it's wonderful. And really, this, this series really came out of that, reading through that. And uh, I was praying through if I should do Psalm 23, and uh, then I got two more copies of the psalm from different people, one for Christmas and one just before that. And I thought, all right, 
I got it. Um, so as I was going through Psalm 23, uh, and through that book, I mentioned a shepherd's look at Psalm 23, I found that um, something so familiar can almost be taken for granted. And yet, at the same time as I was considering this, it's probably the most famous text from the Old Testament that's quoted, I think. Um, and as, as I was looking through Psalm 23, I, I, I kept reminding myself, kept considering, I, I don't want to take away the awe and the wonder from the comfort of the text. And as a couple of theologians in the past say, you don't want to exergize the joy out of Scripture. You want to be truthful, but yet you want to enjoy it. So with that, I was considering Psalm 23 and, and what it means and to us, but more what it meant to King David when he wrote this. And the psalm was probably written in his later years as he was considering his life in the Lord. And considering Psalm 23, you could probably recite it, uh, maybe even in your own fav favorite translation, translation of whichever one from your youth, uh, New King James, maybe some of you King James, NIV, ESV, and the list goes on. But um, I, I was thinking about what would happen if we took our time to see what the Lord has for us at the beginning of 2023 if we just spent a long time in Psalm 23. And I won't tell you how long because I might change my mind. I'm lying. I'm thinking about, I think we're going to spend 12 weeks in Psalm 23. And uh, as, as I was telling some pastors here locally, they said, that is, that is sermon suicide. <laughs> But really, as I was reading through this and going through the book, I mean, we're just going to talk about the Lord is my shepherd. There is so much to that. That could be 12 weeks alone, but I'm not brave enough to do that, so we'll do that in one week. But I want us to consider this psalm as a way of praying and recognizing God, not just the way here when you're at church corporately or when you're in a Bible study, but perhaps the way that you think about God when you're in your car driving or you're walking alone. The way you talk to God when it's just you and him and there's no one around and you can express your feeling, whatever you're feeling. And I know for some that's scary. Sometimes you're afraid to tell God what you're really feeling because you think he doesn't know. Or if you say it in a mean way, he might throw something at you. For me, what I wrote down, and this is what I wrote, the way I want to talk to God is the way I see David talking to God in this psalm. It's not formal, but it's honest. It's not a formal situation like at church or a Bible study or with other people. My hope, and this is my personal hope, so you're getting into my head, pretend you're talking to God like you're in your PJs and not dressed up. I don't know about you, but whenever I'm lying in bed or it's just me, I talk to God differently than how I talk to God up here in my prayer. Um, there's a long pause. If I took a long pause when I'm praying, someone would run up here and check to see if I was okay. Which, if something happens, please come get me. <laughs> or sometimes I start praying about something and then all of a sudden I go and pray about something else and say, oh yeah, God, what about this. And if you think I'm a little squirrely up here, you should see my prayer life. But really what my hope is, is if we take our time in a familiar passage and really see what the intent was and what it means to us and, 
And perhaps throughout 2023, we'll look at familiar passages and not to ruin your childhood dream of, or understanding of, of different dreams that you read from Joseph and, and Daniel in the lion's den. And, and I think sometimes we can get too smart for our own good and think, yeah, I know what happened then. But really, if we just take our time and read it, yeah, it's really the intimacy with Christ. So, at least for me, 2023 is intimacy with Christ. That's, that's my hope for this year. It could be a New Year's resolution if you want to call it that, but I just hope that it's not just something that I check off a box. I think perhaps the best quote so far in dealing with Psalm 23 comes from James Montgomery Boyce. He was a pastor through 1960s to the late uh, 1990s. And this is what he wrote about Psalm 23. Hopefully it will help set up what we're doing here. He says, Millions of people have memorized this psalm, even those who have learned few other scripture portions. Ministers have used it to comfort people who are going through several personal trials, suffering illness, or dying. For some, the words of this psalm have been the last they have ever uttered in their life. That's powerful. So I was thinking about it. If, if, if I knew I was coming to the end of my life, what, what would be my last words to Christ? So with that, as we consider just this first line of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Next week, we'll look at the art of contentment or the surrender of contentment. But this morning, what I really want to look at is the three things. The Lord is my shepherd. Who is the Lord? What is a shepherd? And finally, if there's a shepherd, there must be sheep. So the Lord, the shepherd, and his sheep. So let's consider this together this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. King David uses the word Jehovah when he says the Lord, meaning the existent one or the proper name for Yahweh. It's the highest degree that a Hebrew man or woman could hold up and call Christ or call God the Father in Christ's power for us. And considering Yahweh, they, they didn't even want to pronounce it. It was so holy. So they, there's no vowels. It's just a breath, Yahweh. So that's who King David is recognizing, the Lord. And he knew the Lord. So as I was considering the Lord and what, did it, what it meant to King David, and King David, if we go through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, you'll see the ups and downs. You read the Psalms that David wrote, you see the ups and downs, the high highs, the low lows, and the middle, and everywhere in between. And as I was considering King David recognizing, again, he's, he's probably written this later towards the end of his life as he's reflecting back. He, he, at some point, David recognized that God was Lord because he recognized that in his life, he had other lords that wasn't God. I would suggest we all have something or someone who is our Lord. We might even have a few sub or under shepherds, sub or under lords, but we all have a Lord. And I know that for us at Renew, as Americans, whatever, it's a complex concept for us to have anything have authority over us. I don't like to be told when to go to bed when I was little. I don't. As a matter of fact, I don't like to be told anything, if I'm honest. I don't like when Natalie points out something I've done wrong or dumb, or when my kids point out something. Dad, you're mean. You know what? You're, you're right. <laughs> you're mean. Um, 
But just that concept of something being Lord, something having control over us, something that tells us what to do. And again, I do think it's a complex understanding with our fight, our sinful nature, trying to be our own lords, but something or someone has authority over us. Anyone can tell us something, but who is Lord? And deep down inside, we desire a good Lord for our life, a longing to be cherished and love. Now, for anyone in here who struggle with those words, cherish and love, who want to check out, please don't do it yet. Because we all do. Something or someone is always our Lord. And how do you determine who or what is your Lord? What or... The question is, is what or who do you go to to find value? Who or what do you go to when you're stressed? Who or what do you go to in an attempt to make yourself happy, even if it requires sin? Who or what dictates your joy? And if I look back in my life, I can clearly see who or what had been the Lord of my life, who's been on the throne of my life. And I just spent just... Quickly, just a couple of things that stood out to me as I was considering what had been Lord of my life throughout my life, and and probably perhaps one of the biggest ones that I at least could remember, the first thing I thought of is whenever I got my license in my car. The car was my Lord. It was my escape. It was everything. I rebuilt everything. I rebuilt the transmissions three times because I didn't know how to actually do it, but I figured it out. Who needs reverse? But... But then I finally got my license, and if I'm honest, I drove my car before I got my license. It was the Lord of my life. I cleaned it every day. And if you're wondering, it was a 1972 Dodge Dart. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> it was so ugly. <laughs> I didn't care. I primered it and left it that way because it was cool. I lowered it until I got stuck. And then I put it back up. But it was, it, I cared for it. I cleaned it. I, I would fight anybody who said it was ugly. I, it controlled my life. I spent all of my money trying to fix it uh, repeatedly. Then shortly after that, I, I think money was the Lord of my life. I had a job, and I worked at Taco Bell. You can judge me if you want to. And um, I remember specifically in one Lord, my car, we were at Laguna Beach down south, me and my friends, and I remember going to the ATM machine whenever they actually printed out how much money you had. And, and when I went up to go put in my car, I remember this so clear. Is there was someone who left their tag, their receipt there, and I pulled it out, and I counted how many zeros were in their checking account. And I thought, that's the dream. So you know what I did is I folded that little piece of paper and put it in my wallet because I thought, one day... As I was trying to withdraw 20 bucks from my $111 account. <laughs> and you know, sometime later, as, as, as I kept that receipt in my pocket, uh, I went to share with my friends later on several weeks ago. I said, hey, whoever this guy or gal is, they really got it. And I took the receipt out of the wallet. And if you know anything about these receipts, when you rub them, they go blank. So I said, this is how much money I want to... And I was so convicted. I was happy for my $111 minus $20. But there's been different things in my life that's been Lord. I realized early on when Nellie and I got married that I created her as my Lord. 
My whole, my whole focus was making her happy. The whole lie of happy wife, happy life. Um, she was the Lord. Then we had children. They quickly became the Lord. On and on. The church became my Lord. So for David, as he's writing this, if he has indeed written this later on in his life, Bathsheba, the battles, the lies, his sons, the counting. Do you remember whenever he counted all of his men and God told him not to do it? And in his mind, at least how I see it, he's like, well, Moses did it. I want to see how many people you have. No, he wanted to see how many people he had, how big his kingdom was. So everyone has a Lord. Who is your Lord? David eventually found out and kept to and held on to that God, Jehovah, Yahweh, was Lord. Because the Lord not, doesn't only, the, whoever the Lord is doesn't only give you value or gives you comfort or false comfort or gives you an identity, but it's also who dictates the terms of your life. And God, Lord, he knows what's best. The hard, the easy, the ups and downs, he knows what's best. The one you live for, the one that gives you value, the one that dictates where you invest your time is who your Lord is. And for King David, when he writes, the Lord is my shepherd, his view is all these other things that I tried to put as Lord has fallen short. The Lord, God, Jehovah, is the Lord. And then he says, is my shepherd. The difference between knowing the Lord is a good shepherd and knowing the Lord is my good shepherd is huge. You notice that? It's so easy to skip. I mean, how many times have you read Psalm 23 or quoted Psalm 23 or read Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, King David says, mine, possessive. It's not an outside view looking over and saying, man, that's a good shepherd. I wish I had one. It's, it's the inside view. It's the possessive. It's my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd, is a cool shepherd, my shepherd. 18 times in the New Testament, God is referred to as a shepherd, a good shepherd, the shepherd, the rock of shepherds. The list goes on. And that is what King David knew. So fast forward to the New Testament It'll be on the screen, John 10, the famous John 10, the good shepherd. And I'm going to read from John 10, verse 11 and 15. And John writes this of what Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run away when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. And he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and they know me. Just as my father knows me, I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. That's what you want in the Lord, is that kind of shepherd. You notice, as as John writes, as Jesus describes, the hired hand or the hireling or whatever translation you use will run away if he sees a wolf. All the other lords that we put in our life vanish, run away. Now, granted, I mentioned that my wife was my, my lord for a long time. Not that I think that she would run away, but she couldn't fill and she can't fill the needs that only Christ can. And your spouse can't, your children can't, your grandchildren can't. And I haven't even talked about your job, your career, your success. 
they will all run away when the wolf comes. And the reason why they all run away, and Jesus says, he will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. So David recognized not only is God Lord, he is the good shepherd. He's the one willing to lay down his life. And that, in verse 14 from John, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. That's why you can call something mine if you know it. Not just if you know it, but if they know you. You know, one of the things that drives me nuts as a crazy sports fan is when people call their favorite team my team, or we didn't have a good game. What do you mean, we? You didn't play. You didn't put the skates on or the glove on or whatever sport you guys like. But... (laughs) But what do you mean, me? Or a celebrity. Oh, they're my friend. I love them. They don't know you. They can't. You can say, hey, you call them by their first name. Think of a celebrity or whatever, someone that you really like. And you call them by the first Do they know your first name? So when, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then from Jesus' own words, from verse 14 of John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. That means it's a two-way street. It's not just a one-way. It's not just a fan from far off looking and saying, oh, that's my favorite whatever. And David knew this. In 1 Samuel, whenever he's talking to Saul, you remember when he, whenever he wants to go and fight Goliath? And David's just a boy. And Saul tells him, no, you're too little, you're too young, you're inexperienced. David understands this shepherd, this heart of the shepherd. He says, 1 Samuel 17, 34 and 37, I don't think I have it on the screen. I didn't send it to him. I just thought of this this morning. But he says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and I delivered it out of the mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, struck him and killed him. I mean, that's a shepherd. That's... Who's going to grab a bear or a lion by their beard? We were with some friends, and they were talking about a a story, and I won't say their name because I didn't ask for permission about how they were out in Alaska, and they could have got attacked by a bear, a grizzly bear. You're not going to snatch no bear by the beard, but the shepherd will. David knew the difference between a good shepherd and a bad one. Let's just consider what that means. David was a good shepherd. He knew what it was like. He also knew what it was like to be a bad shepherd whenever he was in charge of the kingdom and he was selfish. In that book that I had mentioned by W. Philip Keller, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, he wrote this. He said, The quality of life enjoyed by any flock depends entirely on their shepherd. He would go on to describe how his hope was to be a cattleman, to have lots of cows and um, steer, uh, but he, could, he spent so much money on the land, all he could afford was, as he calls it, stupid sheep. But he also said that he fell in love with his sheep. He cared for his sheep, but he also recognized when another shepherd didn't take care of their sheep. And he would describe how their quality of life, you could see that it, they weren't cared for. They weren't well-fed, they weren't groomed, they weren't cared for. 
But just jumping back and considering what might be a Lord to you will also determine what kind of shepherd they are to you. Later in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34, and this is what God says, Ezekiel 34, verse 11 and 7 through 17. This is what, well after David, right during the Babylonian rule when they were going to come in, the Lord tells Ezekiel to write this. He says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the people and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pastured land on the high hills of Israel. There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed them in the lush pasture of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who stray away. I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injuries and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them. Yes, feed them justice. And as for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says to his people. I will judge between one animal of the flock and another, separating the sheep and the goat. I will. I will do this. You know, I mentioned just moments ago about some friends talking about being in Alaska and they were given guns to defend them off. And if I understood what they said correctly, the adults were in the front and the back and the kids were in the middle. And the kids didn't get guns. That's probably good. But to fight them off. And this is what the Lord says. He will do all of this. Because if you remember in Babylon captivity, the Jewish people were scattered. But there's a reason why God told this to Ezekiel about he will do this because earlier... In Ezekiel 34, I'll just paraphrase it. He complains about all of the people who are considered shepherds. He complains about all of the priests. He says that the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the stray you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. You were forceful, you were harsh, you ruled over them. God is so upset with the leaders. Of his flock. So that's why he says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to be the one to do this. So as King David is writing Psalm 23, he has this in mind because, again, he has seen what it's like to have God as Lord and everything else as Lord. He has seen what it is to be a good shepherd and a bad shepherd. And he has experienced. God going and searching for him when he was lost. Why else would he have done that and not sent the prophet Nathan to come tell him that it was your sin? Or come and tell him, you counted those people. You created all of this war. You created these issues. See, the, the good shepherd cares for, from the beginning to the end. And it's the link from Ezekiel to John is... Incredible. And perhaps my studying this week, my favorite consideration of the shepherd was from 1 Peter 2, verse 25. And this is Peter writing this. Once you were like sheep who wandered away. 
But now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. What a statement. Because God, Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, he cares for the entire being, your entire being, especially your soul. And this is Peter writing this. If you think about it, Peter was the head apostle. So he knew what it was like to be a good shepherd and a bad shepherd. And yet later on in his life, as, he, as he's considering this before his death, before he was martyred, wrote down, but you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. So at the heart of this, you can't call God the shepherd or my shepherd unless you recognize that you're a sheep. Our view of God dictates how willing we are to allow him to be our shepherd. God is such a gentleman, such a good God. He loves us so much that he came to rescue us, but he loves us so much that he doesn't leave us where we're at. And if we're unwilling to allow him to have total authority in our lives, it is perhaps because we have a soft or low view of Christ. Part of having a high view of God is having a proper view of ourselves. And let's face it, we make poor shepherds of ourselves. Now, granted, I'm a pastor, and one of the words that you can translate to pastor is a shepherd, and I try my best to be a good shepherd, but what I realize the worst person I am to be a shepherd to is myself. So what is it like to be a sheep? To call someone a sheep back in that day was a derogatory term. That's not a great term now. You sheep, you follower, you weakling. So let's consider what a shepherd has to deal with when handling a sheep, which will hopefully help us consider what God has to handle in us as sheep. So let's consider why this term describes us well. Granted, I, I grew up in Long Beach in a ghetto city, so... If I'm wrong about sheep, please correct me after service, but I can just yell it out. I don't care. But really what I've done is I consider this, and, and again, going back to what Phillips has written in his book describing sheep, I just, I find this over and over again. This is me. I am such a sheep. And it's hard to admit it, but the, the more that I recognize I'm a sheep, the more that I know that I need God to be my shepherd. So number one thing that I found that was disturbing is my list of disturbances of sheep. Sheep have no sense of direction, zero, none. I read an article in East, East Turkey, 1,500 sheep were left alone and fell off a cliff because the shepherds were eating their breakfast. <laughs> but the story gets better. The first 400 sheep fell off the cliff to their death the remaining 1,100 were saved, not because they saw the first 400 fall and said, oh, we should stop. They fell on top of the other 400 who made a nice cushion. <laughs> I still hear my mom's voice asking the question, if little Johnny, I didn't even know a Johnny, if little Johnny jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? And I'd say, no, mom. My brother would respond, yeah, if you stole my wallet, but whatever. I read another story about getting lost that 
a farmer told the story, he would let the sheep out of the pen, and before they came back, before the sheepdog round them up, he would put a rope in front, and the first few sheep would jump over the rope. And after the first few would jump over the rope, he would take away the rope. And then the remaining sheep would continue to jump in that same spot. Not because they thought they saw the rope. It's because they saw everybody else jumping at that spot. So you know where the idea and the understanding of that herd mentality comes from. And here, here, here's getting, I guess, prickly a little bit. Have you ever been okay with something and then somebody else told you it was awful and it changed your mind? Have you ever enjoyed a book and you were so excited and you told your friends, hey, this is the best book ever. Lord of the Rings is the greatest book ever. And they're like, it was okay. And everyone starts talking about it. And then you're like, yeah, I guess it was okay. I know some of you are stubborn and you'll fight them. What about, all right, let's even make it personal. There's a sermon and you think, oh, that was a good sermon. Exclude me. That was a good sermon. And then you go and tell other people, like, oh, that was so bad. And you're like, yeah, I guess it wasn't that good. That's the herd mentality. We are like sheep. We just kind of do it. And as much as we want to break away with it, as much as we uh, don't have this sense of direction a lot of time, if, you, if you're considering, well, not me, I would suggest go back and look at your hair and your clothes in your high school yearbook. I don't know what decade you were in, but... God bless you. <laughs> I mean, think of the clothes that you buy now. You buy it because it's there and someone else does, perhaps. So as sheep are so senseless, sense of direction, the last thing about the uh, being a uh, lack of direction, finding their way home, a shepherd shared, even if the sheep can see their pen, if I don't walk along them, they'll miss it. How many times have we seen the right thing and knew it was the right thing, but chose the wrong thing? Second thing about sheep, they are defenseless. Their two defenses are run away and run away. They have no sharp teeth. They have no claws. They have no poison. They have nothing really to defend themselves. They completely rely on the shepherd. So much so, that same, uh, one of the, that farmer who was talking about tying a rope also shared, I don't know how sheep would survive on their own. I watch them. They're scared of their own shadow. Number three, moving quickly here. Sheep can't get, out, get up without help. And they stink. If a sheep falls over all the way on their back, they are unable to get back to their feet. An old English term calls it cast down. They would say, if the sheep ever get cast down, they can't find their way up. Well, that's me. I don't find my way up unless the Lord comes and gets me. And stink, they have this secretion off their skin that protects their wool, so that way they stay well insulated, but it stinks so bad because it's, like glue, and it picks up everything. Another shepherd talks about, do you know how long it takes to care for the wool that is so precious to them? That we throw them on their backs to shave them down, but if we forget to turn them over, 
They'll lay there and die. Fourth, sheep can't find food and water on their own. Sheep can't find water on their own. You can lead them to the water. Everyone has, every sheep has to be led. But they can't fall into the water or they'll drown because their wool will fill up and they'll sink to the bottom. That just reminded me, how much do I indulge on things? How much do I, even a good gift from God that I count the gift better than the giver? They can be led to food, and, and we'll get to this in a few weeks when we talk about he uh, makes us lie in green pastures, but um, shepherds lead them to food, and, but while they're eating the vegetation, the shepherd will have to move them past poisonous plants, or they will eat it. Many other animals are able to identify poisonous plants in the wilderness, not the sheep. They will eat it and get sick, and they won't learn from it, and they will eat from the same plant that will make them sick. Not only that, is the shepherd's job is also to watch them as they're eating the plants to make sure that they don't eat all the way down to the root because there won't be a plant next harvest to eat. Doesn't the Lord have to tell you when to stop? How many times have you seen in your own life where the Lord said, hey, don't do that, that's bad, and you're like, no, I got this. Or maybe just a nibble. Considering the water, they will drink dirty water even if clean water is right next to them because they always take the easy road. Oh man, I got to stop. They're just not, one shepherd said, they're just not smart. They have poor sense of smell. They have poor sense of sight, poor sense of hearing. So what's good about sheep? Sheep recognize the shepherd's voice and the shepherd's voice alone. And you can try it yourself. When, when I was in Egypt, we had an opportunity to watch the sheep herder call in his sheep, and then he would send them out, and then we all tried to mock that same little calling he did, and the sheep looked at us like we were idiots. And you can try it. You can even try to mimic the shepherd's call. You can even record the shepherd's call and play it back, and they know that it's false. Sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. I wonder if we recognize our shepherd's voice. You know, I've said this before, but if ever I would get a phone call that had no caller ID, well, I wouldn't answer. But let's just say that I answer, and it is my wife that calls me, and she says, hi, honey, and I say, who is this? I didn't recognize her voice. How silly is that? When God calls you through the Holy Spirit, when he whispers to you, do you recognize his voice? The other thing that I come to appreciate about sheep as I was studying about sheep was sheep are not meant to carry loads or burdens. Sheep are unable to carry items on their back. And neither are we. Even their wool can become so burdensome that they just lay down. So they lack a sense of direction. They're defenseless. They can't carry themselves, they, they can't carry a burden. And if we are God's sheep, which we are, we're not supposed to carry our burdens. His yoke is easy. Finally, sheep are valuable. Sheep in ancient times were prized possessions and people who had them were considered wealthy and people would save all their money just to buy one sheep to look good. And I thought, save all your money just to buy... Good shoes to look good. But sheep are valuable, not just for the meat, 
Not just the wool and the milk, but what was sacrificed in the temple. And in contrast, and, and later on I don't want to spoil all the goods, but we can compare sheep and goat, sheep and goats a little bit. And goats are known for being selfish and mean and they weren't prized as valuable the way that sheep are. And each shepherd also knew the value of their sheep so much and they never wanted someone to steal their sheep. I think it was at Christmas time when we were talking about the shepherds, they were considered to be thieves and that's what one of the reasons why each shepherd would have their unique mark that they would place on the ear. In the ancient times, they would sharpen the knife and do some kind of design, some kind of mark. So that way, if you were walking out and you saw your mark in another sheepfold, you would say, that is mine. He, she belongs to me. And each shepherd would have that unique mark and place it on their ear, which reminds me from Deuteronomy, whenever a slave was no longer a slave and had the opportunity after seven years either to leave and go on their own according to Jewish customs, according to Deuteronomy law, Leviticus law and Deuteronomy, if, if a slave decided to stay and be part of the family, Deuteronomy fifteen seventeen would say that the owner would take an awl and put it, place it through the ear on the doorpost bearing the mark. So the question is, is the sheep carry the unique mark of the shepherd? So if we look deep down into our soul, whose mark do we bear? And the mark that we bear is whatever or whoever is the Lord of our life. For Christ, the marking's on his hands and on the side. For us, do we Carry the image of Christ. We're reminded later on in John, they will know you by your love for one another. How is your love? How is the mark? Are you marked by love? Now, if anyone in here is, is questioning or having an issue or thinking, oh, I have several lords of my life, it's not too late. My, my prayer for this year, for me and for you, is that we run to the good shepherd. And that we would bear his mark. And that any other mark that we are carrying is simply erased by the forgiveness of Christ. So as we consider Psalm 23 for the next several weeks and we think about it, let's just consider this very first Psalm 23, 1A, if you will. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Is God your shepherd, is he your shepherd? Is, do you have a personal relationship with him? And if you do have a personal relationship, what mark are you carrying? Because to be honest, we're all pretty bad sheep. We all lose our sense of direction. We all eat too much. We all drink from the bad water if it's not for the Lord. So let us run wholeheartedly to the shepherd, be right by his side. Let him lead us, for he is the good shepherd. So as we consider this, as we sing a few more songs, if you don't have this relationship with Jesus Christ, I'd love to talk to you about it. If you're just dealing with anything, I'd love to talk to you about it. But let's pray and continue to worship the Lord. God, thank you for this time. And just reminded from... David's psalm, just that first line, 
that you are Yahweh, that you came to save us. Lord, and, and our heart's desire is that we can call you my, our good shepherd because you are. So Lord, will you forgive us if we put anything in the seat that belongs to you? Lord, if we bear any marks of something or someone else, will you just take that away? Because we want to be image bearers of you. We were created in your image, and then we were redeemed by your blood. So let us live as redeemed ones. Let us cast away sin. Let us run to you. And if we are in sin, let us confess and repent of that, Lord. Lord, I do pray for this new year that it's not just a year on repeat even if this last year was a great year for us. Let us not live on yesterday's home runs. Let us not live on yesterday's scripture reading. Let us live on you today through your spirit. Let us seek after you. Let us not live in that guilt and shame because you've done away with that, Lord. Lord, thank you for being the good shepherd. Thank you for turning us over when we fall on our back. Thank you for getting us out of bad water. Let us not eat from poisonous roots. Let us just run to you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Let us have a heart of gratitude and thankfulness this year. So, Lord, as we worship you more through more songs, Lord, let it be a blessing unto you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.